Good morning. Yeah, that was weak. I know we're at 9 o'clock and time changed. You guys could say good morning back, right? Good morning. Good morning. Good. Um, so grab your Bibles. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Colossians. We're going to continue our study in the book of Colossians. If you don't have a Bible, there's a black Bible in front of you. Uh, grab it, use it, take it home. Uh, let it, that be a gift from us to you. Turn to Colossians chapter 4. There are not many topics in the church world that will make you feel Christian guilt like the topic that we're going to talk about today. What? Woohoo. I was like, why is everybody laughing? I was like, it's Christian guilt. Like, this is bad. <laughs> I was like confused for a second. Um, but, but it's a topic of evangelism, right? So it's a topic of evangelism. So when we hear the topic of evangelism, we experience guilt that leads to desire for action. And because, from, because of the wrong motivation, that is short-lived, and then the result is lack of action. Right? So you experience this guilt on Sunday, right? Pastor preaches a sermon on evangelism. You kind of experience this guilt. You leave and you're like, man, I got to do something. But, but there's a wrong motivation. And because there's a wrong motivation, it actually is short-lived. And then you start thinking about it, right? And I'm not sure if there's a topic, like a topic of evangelism, that, that preachers preach with more passion, I feel like the topic of evangelism, preachers are usually spitting out, right? Like they're, they're spewing things at you, like fist pumping kind of thing, right? But it has the reverse of the intended effect on people than, than this topic that, that we're going to talk about. I remember as a seven-year-old, we, we were living in Russia, and uh, we had some missionaries, missionaries from America that came to do mission work in our city of Zilinchuk. And so my dad's church was there, so they came and visited. And, uh, and I remember how bold they were, how passionate they were, and how they were from Texas. Because I would remember asking them, hey, you know, through a translator, obviously, like, hey, are you guys from America? They're like, yes, from Texas. And so there's not sure why. Um, but but in, in Russia, there's a, this is a cultural thing for Russia. On, on most Sundays, there's a flea market. And this flea market, so just imagine uh, that we do the, the, here in Greeley, there's a farmer's market happens on Saturdays. Imagine that like 100 times bigger. So, so like... It's a lot of people come and set up booths and they sell vegetables and they sell everything. And so because of that, people throughout the city, it becomes Sunday's a big deal to get out and go and hang out at this flea market. So it's like a Russian mall, right? And so, so these missionaries, I remember they, they, would, they would go to this flea market, walk around and almost beg people to go to church. And as a seven-year-old, I'm just following them. I don't, I don't, you know, I just hear them talking through a translator to the Russian people. But I'm just observing. I'm watching. But they would beg people to come to church. They would engage with anyone. They would talk to them. And some of those people that they engage would come to church. And at the church service, there's obviously an altar call that they would do. And that would happen for a few weeks. So hold that story for a second. Hold that story for a second. Fast forward to 16 years later, 
I go on a mission trip to Vancouver, Canada. A team of us from the church that I was going to at a time, the team was made up of a bunch of college students, uh, some post-graduation, I, I just graduated college, and there was also a few families that were able to take a week off to go to Vancouver. And the, and the purpose of this mission trip was to share the gospel and connect people to a local church. And also the leaders were networking and seeing if this is going to be a place where they'll do missions for a long time. But I remember as a team, so, so you know, they, we had training and, and people in Vancouver speak English. So they didn't, we didn't have to learn another language or anything like that. So we come to Vancouver, Canada, and, uh, and I remember going through downtown, and it's almost like our team got transformed because all the people just became bold and passionate and inviting people, talking to people about Jesus and inviting people to a local church. And so it was similar to the missionaries that were from Texas that came to Russia. And I remember thinking after the mission trip, you know, I was, I was young, naive, and, and just had many questions. And I was thinking, I remember thinking, is this really what evangelism looks like? Is this what evangelism looks like? Why is it so different from what we do back at home, at a local content, uh, context? Why is there so much emphasis on action of doing and boldness? Why is there so much emphasis on action and boldness? And it was actually like praise. Like when you see somebody being bold, you're like, that's how you're supposed to be, right? Like that's, that was part of the culture. And, and then the last question that I was thinking is like, why do I feel so much fear and guilt about evangelism? And so today's passage, today's passage that, that is about evangelism but as we're going to study this, you'll see it's a lot less about my doing and a lot more about my identity. This is right along of what Paul and Timothy have been teaching and talking about in our passage for the last few weeks, right? If we are transformed by the love of God, then we live in light of that transformation. Like if God has saved us and transformed our hearts, then we live in light of that transformation in the culture that we live in. In other words, we are sons and daughters of a king, and that's our identity. That's our identity, and only out of that identity does evangelism happen. Okay, so if you're able, let's stand, read our passage together, and jump into this passage. I got it. And take a minute. I don't got it. There we go. You guys have Bibles, right? Let's just, just open your Bibles and we'll read it together. So, um, Colossians 4, uh, 2 through 6. Let's read this together. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. To declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which I am to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Make the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to speak answer each other. This is the word of God. You can have a seat. So. 
Before we jump into our text, I need to get a few definitions on the table. I want to throw some definitions on the table because without clarity, we will all experience guilt. And then we'll all have a short-lived desire for action. And then it will ultimately lead to an inaction. And that's just not the way the gospel works, right? The gospel never motivates us with guilt. The gospel compels us to action because of the great love that we see in Jesus. And because of that, we need to have a proper, clear definition. So the first definition that we're going to work with is evangelism. So there's a book by Max Stiles who wrote a little book called Evangelism. And in it, he gives this definition. So I'll read it a couple times. Um, evangelism is teaching the the gospel with the aim of persuade. Uh, evangelism, evangelism is teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. I'll read it one more time in case you are writing this down. So evangelism, evangelism is teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. So uh, that's the definition. And then within this definition, I want to work through four words. I want to work through teaching, gospel, aim, and persuade. Because I think when we say those words, often we need actually a clarity of what we really mean by those words. And so the first one is teaching. Teaching requires words. And without words, we have no evangelism. Just look at the phrases. Like look down at our passage right now. Look through our passage and you see uh, a door for the word to declare how I ought to speak. Let your speech So the Bible makes it clear that sharing the gospel involves using words. Teaching is an important component of evangelism because without words, we can't get the gospel across. And maybe you're thinking, as as I'm saying this, I'm saying, hey, uh, teaching requires words. Maybe you're sitting there and thinking, maybe I heard this popular phrase, preach the gospel if necessary, use words. Have Have you heard of that phrase? Right? Well, that phrase is, that expression is wrong. Right? The expression is wrong. It's not correct because if the gospel was about what we must do to get saved, then yeah, we can communicate the gospel through action as well as our words. But the gospel is about what God has done to save us and how we, we can receive it through faith. And therefore, we need words. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, put it this way. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And so for you to believe in a holy living God, you have to hear about this holy living God. And hearing about this amazing God causes your heart to change Uh, You know, you don't have to look far to just look at your heart. Look at the way God has saved you. God saved me as a kid. I, was, I heard the gospel, and then I respond to that gospel. I meant that was very similar to your story. You heard the gospel, and something in your heart changed. That you heard the good news, and we'll talk about the good news of all the ins and outs of that in a second. But you heard the good news, the announcement, the declaration that Jesus won, and, and something in your heart changed. Was it helpful to see others who loved this Jesus? Of course, yes, of course it was helpful to soften your heart, to lend credibility to the message you were hearing. But the transformation can only happen with hearing of the words of truth. So, words are required. Let's move to the second word, the gospel. 
Because if you've been with us for even a second, you know that this is the air that we breathe, right? Like, you will hear us talking about the gospel every week. Uh, you will hear us mentioning the gospel. We, we love the gospel. Uh, this is the heartbeat behind everything we do. And the gospel is, I just said it a second ago, but the gospel is the joyful announcement that Jesus fully accomplished salvation for us. Jesus rescued us from the judgment of sin into fellowship with him. And Jesus will restore the creation in which we can enjoy our new life as his sons and daughters together with him forever. So we have talked about this almost every week as we've been in this book. As we've been studying every week, we talk about how, how it, Jesus, what Jesus accomplished on the cross, period. What saves and transforms you is not Jesus plus some good works. Uh, it's not Jesus plus some law or some supernatural experience. No, it was, it's Jesus, period. Like, Jesus only. We can't add anything to the gospel. We can't add anything to the announcement that Jesus won. Like, even thinking about it. Like, how can you add something to the announcement? Like, a declaration that's spoken to you saying, hey, Jesus has won. Like, what are you going to add to that? You can't add anything to it. It, But this announcement informs how you live, right? It informs us through themes such as love and forgiveness and reconciliation and, and faith and humility and repentance. These themes come out in our lives in the context of relationships, right? Like we talked about this in the previous couple of weeks, how the gospel is played out in, with the people that we do life with. This, these themes come out in the context of relationship, relationship with the others in your life, the others in your work, the others in your household, the others that you are around. And this, these relationships demonstrate how well you understand the announcement that Jesus saved you and that you belong in his family. Right? So if you look at your relationships, you can use that as a litmus test of how well you actually understand the gospel. They demonstrate the gospel transforming themes of your heart. And so there's much more to say about the gospel, right? Like I could spend probably the next 45 minutes just talking about the gospel. But, and we, it will be, it will come back up, so don't worry. Um, but let's move to the next word, aim. So as we speak the gospel with words, we have an aim. What's our aim? Our aim is to join Jesus as he moves people from darkness into the light. As Jesus moves people from the bondage to freedom. Yes, God uses people to share the gospel. Yes, you open your mouth and let the gospel out. But, but God is the one who will be doing the transformation. And isn't that freeing? Isn't that freeing? Our aim is to join the work that God is already doing. Matthew 28, 18-20 says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the ages. So Jesus has all the authority. Jesus has all the authority. Jesus is the one who saves. And as we go, as we do life, 
We live out our identity as children of God with the purpose of joining what God is already doing. And yes, that requires you to speak about this Jesus, but, but the pressure is not on you. Because Jesus is the one who holds salvation in his hands. And it's Jesus who has all authority. So the aim is to join the work that he's already doing in that person's heart. And again, isn't that freeing? So let's move to the last word, persuade. In uh, 1 Corinthians 5.11, Paul says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. So Paul is saying, knowing the fear of the Lord, meaning knowing that you have been transformed from darkness into the light yourself. And how can you not share knowing that fact with others? Listen, before you start rolling up your sleeves and getting too excited about the work you're going to be doing, know that this is the work of the Holy Spirit. We persuade, but we don't manipulate. We persuade, but we're not the ones who bring up about repentance or even conversion. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Maybe this feels vague to you. Maybe as I'm talking about this, maybe it feels a little vague to you. So let's get a tangible example of what this looks like on the ground. Remember from a few weeks ago, we talked about parenting. And we said that to share the gospel with your kids in all areas of life. We talked about how as you're doing life, as you're living life, share the gospel with them. And, and the example we talked about was as you rise from the bed, as you get up in the morning... Talk about the love of Christ with them. As you're eating with them, talk about the love of Christ with them. As you are doing life, as you're walk, going on a walk as a family, you share. So it's like when you wake up, when you walk, when you sit together. And this is similar. This is similar. As you do life with people, you share what Christ has done for you in all areas of your life. You invite people to have dinner with you, with, with you and your family. You invite them as you hang out as a family in your yard. Or if you decide to go on a walk, invite somebody with you. Do life with people. You become an available person. You become available for others. Think of it this way. When you open your mouth to share the gospel, it shouldn't be a surprise to that person that, you, that you're a Christ follower. When you open your mouth to share the gospel with your neighbor, your neighbor should not be surprised by that fact. Your neighbor will be like, yeah, you've been, this is who you are. I know you're a Christ follower. You live this way. You've been talking about this every day since I've met you. It shouldn't surprise him or her that you, that you, that you talk about Jesus. Because your life should be marked as a Christ follower. And the people that I'm talking about, right, like the neighbors and every people who are already doing life with you. These people who are your coworkers that you actually talk to or your neighbors that you're actually communicating with. Uh, you should communicate to all your neighbors or all your coworkers. But what I'm addressing here is more those who are you're already doing this with, like you're doing life. They shouldn't be surprised by who you are. The people in your classrooms or the people that your neighborhood People who you share your house with or people that know you and you know them, right? And so that, that they, those are the people that I'm describing, they shouldn't be surprised that you share the gospel with them. So as you talk to them, they shouldn't be like, whoa, Sergey, like, you're, you're talking about this Jesus? Like, I had no idea. Like, that shouldn't be surprising because your life should be reflecting that already. Plus, 
You've been praying for them already. You've been praying for them. You have been asking God to transform them from, from darkness to light. And you're joining God in the work that he's already doing. And God will do the rest. They'll either accept the gospel that you share or they will reject the gospel. But you continue to love them and do life with them. And maybe, maybe the next question that pops up in your head is like, for how long? How long do you do life with somebody? You know, I shared the gospel with my neighbor once and, and like, do I need to keep loving him? Yes. Of course you need to keep loving them. The call to love your neighbor is forever. It's not just you love them until they become a Christian. No, you love them always. You continue to love them the rest of your life. You continue to, to be yourself, a Christ follower who, who comes out of you by loving your neighbor and, and sharing the gospel, walking with them through life. So that's what, what persuading looks like with the people who are around you, the people who are doing, that you're doing life with. But, but what about sharing the gospel with strangers? You know, like maybe street evangelism or something like that, right? What about that? Well, faith, I read this verse earlier, faith comes from hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. So God can use any means possible to save people to himself. So yes, God has used street evangelism to save some to himself. Right? Like we have story after story of people who are even incredible communicators of God's word who said, yeah, I encountered a guy on the street and he told me about Jesus and that's how God saved me. Right? Like that, that happens. But these people who are street evangelists usually are people who are usually, so hear me this, this is usually, they're gifted. They're, 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 they are evangelists. They're gifted as evangelists. And so when we see that, we should pray for them. And we'll see that why in a, in a second in our text. But we should pray for them uh, as we, uh, we'll see this in the text, right? And, and not feel guilt that I don't do that. And so hear me well. So when you see a guy or a gal who's, who's preaching the gospel on the street as a street evangelist of some kind, you don't, you don't, your heart should definitely not lead towards judging them. And at the same time, you should probably whisper a quick prayer for them. Like, God, utilize their words to save some to yourself. And definitely don't walk away feeling like, oh, man, like, he does it and I don't ever share the gospel. Like, don't feel guilt. He's probably gifted by God to do that. And so... So that's the definition of evangelism. That's the definition of evangelism, teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. And so are you starting to see that, yes, you open your mouth. Yes, you share the truth of the gospel, but it's Jesus who's at work and you're simply joining him. So as you have that, as, as that's the definition that we're going to be working with, that's the definition. That's what we're going to be walking into our text with. So having this in mind, now let's jump into our text. So verse 2 says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So Paul and Timothy are talking about evangelism here, and they start with prayer. So before you share the gospel, before you open your mouth, before you even go out and love your neighbor, pray for them. Pray for them. You should pray for them in three ways. Steadfast, watchful, and with thanksgiving. Steadfast means devoting yourself to prayer. That, that means it's not just one time, uh, once, 
and the blue moon, you decide to pray for them. No, you're continuously praying for them. God, draw them to yourself. God, save them. Move them from darkness to light. You're continuously praying for them. And this sounds basic, I know, and it is. But, but this first point to steadfast, to pray continuously, is, it means to talk to God continuously. If God has transformed your heart, uh, and I know, and, and you're thinking like, this is so basic, but it is, but it's also, we need to hear this. This is so basic, but, but we need to hear this because if God has changed our hearts, if God has transformed our hearts, then we get to talk to him. Not just once a day. Not just like when I woke up and, and, and not just before meals. No, you, you're doing life with God. You're, you're talking to Him, continuously talking to God as you're doing life. And maybe they're short, quick prayers. Maybe they're just the short prayers as, you know, God, that's a sweet sky. That's an incredible sunset. That's, I don't even know. Nobody else is looking there, but I am. Thanks, God. That was for me. That's a prayer. Just a short, quick prayer. Or, God, I need you right now. My kids are driving me up the wall, right? Like, can anybody relate, right? Like, you, you just say those quick, quick prayers. God, I studied for this test, but I feel anxious. Please help me. God, I, I'm not feeling well. Just, just, you're shooting those prayers up. Just, just kind of, they come out of you because you're constantly walking with God. God, I just got a call that my aunt has cancer. I don't know how to feel, but I feel pretty broken. Be with me right now. God, my neighbor is asking about faith and I need you to help me. I've been praying for you to move them from darkness to light, but I need you to give me words now. Like, I need you to speak through me. That's a, that's a legitimate prayer. You're continuously talking to God. And that's include praying for those who God placed around you. That means pray for the people in our church. Uh, people who are here. This, these are the people you're doing life with, so pray for them. Pray for the people. And pray specifically, God, you know, give Sarah an opportunity to share the gospel today. You have no idea what Sarah's schedule is like, but you're praying for Sarah to share the gospel. God, I pray that Zach will have an opportunity today. Like, you're just, you're praying for people to share the gospel. Pray for the people who, who are are in your neighborhood as you're walking as you're you know getting in the car and driving out let's say you drive out of the neighborhood and there's three houses pray for those three houses every time you drive out of the neighborhood god i'm really busy right now but i really i don't know what's going on in that house i pray that you bring light and then pray for anyone who god puts on your heart you know if you're saying god pray for this this house, and the next moment you have Josh pop up in your head, and you're like, and I pray for Josh too. Like, pray for them. Continuously talking to God, continuously seeking God at work, continuously trusting His will, continuously joining Him. So you pray continuously as the verse, the verse continues and says, being watchful in it. That means, yes, you pray, but know that there's an enemy. There's an enemy out there. And Ephesians 6, 12 tells us, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So you pray to God continuously, knowing there's an enemy who's out to kill, steal, and destroy. You know that. You know that as you're praying these prayers continuously, talking to God, there is an enemy. 
Like we don't live in a world that does not have an enemy. Enemy is out there. Yes, there's an enemy, but Jesus has won the war. Jesus has won the war. That's the biggest part of the gospel, the announcement that Jesus won. So as you continuously pray, remember that Jesus won. Remember where the victory stands. You're now a child of God. You're now adopted into his family. So yes, there is an enemy, but you're God's beloved child. So that moves your heart towards gratitude, praising God continuously. God, I'm grateful that you saved me. God, I'm grateful that I'm your child. God, protect me from the enemy. Like that should be constantly just continuously coming out of you as you're doing life, as you're walking to the store or as you're doing a project at work. And listen, we're still talking about evangelism here. But do you see how much more it's about resting in your identity as a beloved, chosen son and daughter of God? Do you see how it starts with prayer? And all of this is happening before you even open your mouth. All of this is happening before you even open your mouth. Because verse 3, this is, Paul continues, and they, Paul and Timothy say, At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word. To declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So there's three things that stand out in this verse. Pray for us. Pray for open doors for the word. And pray for the mystery of Christ to be made clear. So pray for us. So not everyone is in full-time ministry. Not everyone is in full-time ministry, right? That's, and that's a good thing. So when I say that, don't, don't be like, oh man, like he's about to try to make all of us pastors or evangelists or something. Like, like that's a good thing that you guys have talents and gifts in different areas of life. I mean, we have some incredible teachers in this room, and that's a good thing. We have some incredible, amazing business people in this room, and that's a good thing. We have a, amazing, gifted mathematicians in this room. I'm glad for mathematicians. I'm not one of them, right? Like, we should be praising those gifts. Some of us are in medicine. So we need to be like, man, I'm not in medicine. I'm not a doctor. But we, we may have somebody who is a doctor. And that's where God will use you. That's where you will minister. But some are called to a full-time ministry. So some are called to full-time maybe missionaries or called to be an evangelist or called to be a teacher, pastor, whatever, right? Like some are. And as Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says, And he gave the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherd and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. So for these people, every one of us should pray continuously because they're in the direct gospel warfare. This is the reason we pray for missionaries on Sunday. Right? Like maybe, maybe you've been thinking, like, why do they keep bringing up praying for other churches in our city? Or why do they keep praying for other pastors in our city? Why do they pray for missionaries in our city or pray for international uh, missionaries? The reason we do that is because these people are in direct gospel warfare. And it's not random. I can promise you it's not random. Uh, It's a teaching tool that as we do this on Sunday, 
the hope is that, that throughout the day, as you start to pray for someone, you'll be like, oh, and I should pray for missionaries. It just comes to you now because you've been doing that every Sunday or you've been doing some Sundays praying for missionaries or praying for pastors. So as you pray, you'll be like, oh, yeah, I should probably pray for Sergey or another elder, right? Like you just, it just comes to you. So let the example from Sunday be applied to everyday prayer for you. And, and that, that spreads to everything that we practice, right? Like, so there's a reason that we start by praising God. Because God is worthy of our praise. There's a reason that we confess our sins every Sunday. That's just not fun. Like, it's not, it's not for like, hey, you know what? We're just going to confess our sins every Sunday. No, the reason I want we do this so that becomes a habitual habit for you, right? Like, it becomes something that's part of you that you, when you pray, you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm a guy who will re- confess my sins and I want to change from doing those things. That comes to you, right? Uh, pray for the person to the left or right of you. Th- that should come to you as you're praying for somebody. Be like, oh man, my spouse is around me. My kids are around me or my neighbors are around me. Like you start praying for them, right? Like, so those, those things that we do on Sunday and even in our prayer, we want that to be reflected in you. We want you to practice that. So we pray for those who are in ministry. So how can you maybe, maybe the question is, how do I pray for them specifically? Well, pray for open doors for the word. In 1 Corinthians 16, 9 and 10, Paul says, I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work work has opened to me. And there are many adversaries. In 2 Corinthians 2.12, he says, When I come to trials to preach the gospel of Christ, a door was opened for me in the Lord. And in Revelation 3.8, Jesus says to the church at Philadelphia, Behold, I have set before you an open door which, has, which no one is able to shut. So this should be our prayer daily. This should be part of our daily prayer. God, open the door for your word. God, open the door that no one can shut. Because this is when evangelism is born. And, but listen, this is not just for those who are in full-time ministry. God has transformed your heart. God placed you in this city. And God has, has put you at a certain job. God put a certain people around you. And you're doing life with them. And so, yes, pray for those who are doing full-time ministry. But also pray that God will open the door for the word where you are with people that you interact daily. Pray that God will open doors around you for the gospel. Pray that people will desire the word of God. Because when the word of God is open, the mystery of Christ will be made clear. And that moves us to the third point that we have to pray for the mystery of Christ to be made clear. As Paul Paul says this, for the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So when you pray, pray specifically for those who are doing the ministry. Pray specifically for the word of God can be central and pray that Christ will be made clear. Evangelism is making the mystery clear. That Jesus came and lived a perfect life. That died the death 
on the cross, he conquered death and now is seated at the right hand. And the gospel is for all who put their faith in Jesus. As Galatians 3, 28, 29 says, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's not, no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. The, the mystery is the gospel destroys all kinds of boundaries. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. It doesn't matter if you're black, white, or Mexican. It doesn't matter how much money you make. The gospel is a great equalizer. It tells us all that we, all of us are in need. And Christ alone fills that need of every person. So, the start of evangelism is prayer. Prayer specifically for the people who are doing ministry. Pray specifically that the word of God can be sensual. Pray, pr- so pray that the mystery of, of the gospel is made clear. There's a story about this. There's a story about um, uh, of a missionary by the name of Hudson Taylor. And he shares this story. Uh, he was a missionary to China in the 19th century. And, and so, he, so he was a missionary to China. And uh, there was one mission station. So just imagine like our missionaries right now. If we were going to go and do mission to China, we probably would have different cities have different teams who are serving on it, right? So very similar back then. They had different stations uh, that throughout China. But, and, they had, um, and so they set this up. And so when he went to visit these stations, he discovered that one of the stations was producing a lot more fruit. Like one of the stations just had r- ridiculous amount of fruit. Like God was saving people, drawing people to himself. And so he was perplexed. He was like, why is God saving people here but not anywhere else? Right? Because the devotion of others was the same. The, the methods that they were using were the same. The, the ability to proclaim the gospel was the same. Like the, the people were very similar in everything that they did. But for whatever reason, there was like God saves people here but not nowhere else. And so Hudson Taylor was fascinated. There was more fruit at this particular station. And so as time passed, as he was traveling, he got to know a guy who used to live in that area. And this gentleman shared that he was a roommate with a missionary who committed himself to prayer for the work there. And as as he discovered that, Hudson Taylor says, then I knew the answer. Then I knew the answer. You see, prayer is at the heart of evangelism. It's not methodologies or, or what, what, what we're going to set up. No, it starts with prayer. Paul and Timothy knew this, so they're saying, pray for us. Pray for doors to be opened, for God's word to be preached. Pray for the mystery to be made clear. Now, now they move, uh, verse 5 and 6, now they move to get more practical on the ground of you actually doing, actually putting words to this. This is for everyone who's a believer who has a transformed heart. They say, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Making the best use of the time. So the beginning of wisdom is the fear 
of the Lord, living each moment in awe of God. So walking in wisdom that means living, remembering God and what He has done for us. This is what we've been talking about. It's living in light of the gospel. It's living, it's, it's walking with Christ, talking to Him, continuously praying, having this conversation, applying the gospel, believing truly that He has won the war. If we walk in wisdom towards outsiders, we see open doors because Jesus is at the heart and mind and in words. He's always at the forefront of our thoughts and actions. So as we're walking continuously, of course we're going to see the opportunities because we're praying continuously, asking God to move, to change, to transform, to save. And then wisdom is then knowing when to open your mouth and when to share the gospel, when to speak truth loudly. And when to speak with gentleness. Right? That, that's, that's wisdom. Knowing when, when to shout and when to say, you know what? Jesus loves you. So walk in wisdom and have salty speech. When the food is bland, no one wants to eat it. And then the only thing that is salty about our speech is the gospel of Jesus. Jesus gives our speech flavor. This is not a place for us to be creative or conniving, trying to cre- recreate something. The gospel is salty enough. But here's the, kick, here's the kicker about this. you got to believe the gospel is enough for you. You have to believe the gospel is enough for you. You have to believe that the gospel is sufficiently salty. If you live without believing the all-sufficiency of the gospel, then when you get a chance to share the gospel, what you truly believe will come out of you. You can't fake what is not already on inside of you. As the gospel is inside of you, you get to interact with the love of Jesus. You get to understand the ins and outs of your brokenness. As you, as you get to understand those, those things, you get to understand and live in light of that victory. You get to live as sons and daughters. That You get to lean into your identity. So, of course, when time comes to talk about the, to the people around you of the hope that's inside of you, you, you're able to talk about it because that's what you've been doing. That's the way you've been living. That's the rhythm of your life. You're, 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 ex, you're just expressing what's already been happening you're believing the gospel. Being able to talk about it, you hold out the beauty of it. Because that's it, that is your life. The gospel just flows out of you. Because the victory of the cross is the only proper motivation for evangelism. You want to share not out of duty, but because it comes out of the gospel changed heart. Like if you're sitting here and you're thinking, man, I just want to figure out some methods about this. That's not going to get there. The, think about your heart. See what's happening in your heart. And, and then, if God has transformed your heart, and you're actually tra- realizing what, where the gospel does to your heart, then sure, the gospel can, can affect others around you. The more you realize what God did for you, the more it comes out of you. The more you realize who you are in Christ, the more it comes out of you. The more you realize it is not something that you did, but, but what Christ did, the more it comes out of you. The more you realize how you have been reconciled to God, the more the message of reconciliation comes out of you. The more you realize that evangelism is less about you and more about God, the more you share with the people around you. I said this earlier, 
But God gave you specific talents and gifts, a specific upbringing, a specific life experience because he will use those gifts, talents, and experiences to extend his kingdom. Your house, your house is exactly where God wants it to be. Your work is exactly what God had in mind. He's working in you and through you. And unless you feel God specifically calling you to a radical change of hobby or job or a location, you don't need to step far outside of those bounds of a place of where you are at and join God's redemptive purposes. He said, pray for opportunities. Pray for opportunities. God has prepared for you where you are, as you are, with the people around you. So as we close, as we end, I want to end by praying together. I want to end by praying together. As a church, I want to ask you to join uh, me by praying these three things. So I'll pray these three things, but I want you to join me in these things. And and I'll, I'll post on our Facebook group too that we will be a church that prays these three things for, for a season, maybe the rest of our lives. Um, so the first one is pray that we'll continue to grow in the gospel. That, that means that we continue to be a people who believe that the gospel is what's transforming us. Believe that it's Jesus, what he accomplished. Continue to grow in the gospel. Pray that God will open, so the second one, pray that God will open the doors in our city for the gospel work. Join me in praying for that. Pray that God will open the doors in our city for the gospel work. And then thirdly, pray that we'll walk into those opportunities with full confidence of what Christ has already done. Right? Pray that we will walk into those opportunities with full confidence of what Christ has already done. So I'm going to pray in these three ways, and I I just ask you to join me.